This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. Yes, finally we are back with another edition of Unholstered. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kayla Blakesley. If you're joining us for the very first time, I host a radio program right here in Northeast Indiana. And Unholstered is all about the local media. That's me. That's where I come in. Teaming up with our local police department to share all of the stories that aren't often talked about. And that's where my co-host comes in. My name is Safira Zalskatina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show Unholstered. I'm so excited for this next topic. It's also, I, I've said from the beginning, I want to talk about two things, guns and the SWAT team. And we've, we've already hit on guns a couple of times. And right. today is the day where we are going to hit on uh, the SWAT team within the Fort Wayne Police Department. And you've brought in a really intimidating, <laughs> scary looking dude uh, into the studio today for this topic. Who'd you bring in? I brought in Lieutenant Kevin Zelt. He's the commander of our emergency services team, or also known as people know as SWAT. Um, and he's not that intimidating. We just heard him say he just looked after two yes. little children this weekend. <laughs> Here's why I say that, because you are dressed in your full-on, I'm assuming this is what you wear on a regular basis. Yes. You're, you're full-on like SWAT gear, but you're right, Sophia. <laughs> Lieutenant, you did just come in saying you played all weekend with your nieces and you'd rather that actually is, be out on a swap That call. is correct. I would rather, yes. Uh, I surrendered to the small children over the weekend. They won. It's good for you, though. And here's where I want to start this morning, uh, because I don't think a lot of people realize this, but that the SWAT team here in Fort Wayne is part of the Fort Wayne Police Department. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sophia, but not all police departments have SWAT teams. Correct. Um, each department is different. We are fortunate enough to be large enough to have our own emergency services team. But this is above and beyond people's regular duty. So we don't have a full-time team. Um, there's larger departments like New York City or um, things like that, and those really large departments that do have that. But we don't have that luxury. So all our people go above and beyond their normal work duty and and do these kinds of teams as, as with most of our teams there's really few that are very full-time okay i have so many questions how does that work how does it come is, is it a population thing a numbers thing i mean how do you go about saying this police department does have a swat team each agency makes its own decision on that uh there's no standard or lawful requirement okay uh, basically an agency will look at their situation their manpower their population their crime uh, what kind of problems they're dealing with and they will make that decision uh, our city, uh, we made the decision about 35, 36 years ago uh, to implement our own SWAT team. Prior to that, uh, we relied on the Allen County Sheriff's Department SWAT team. Okay. Uh, and uh, what uh, the powers that be discovered was that the vast majority of operations that the county SWAT team was handling were in the city. So it only made sense that we should uh, form our own unit to deal with the problems within our jurisdiction. When did you become a member of the Fort Wayne SWAT team? Well, it... Uh, 1902? It, it, it was... Uh, <laughs> Ouch! Not, not that far Not that he's that old, but that's all I can remember him being is on the SWAT team. So. Uh, yeah, it was... I came on the police department in 1985, uh, 36 Close, years ago, and came on SWAT three years later. So in 1980... Well, not, it would have been January of 1989 is when I came on. What prompted you to do that since Sophia already said this is kind of above and beyond the standard call of duty, if you will? Yeah, it was... To be honest, it was nothing that when I was growing up I thought of. Um, part of being on the police department, I was in the military and I was in the infantry and became a drill sergeant in the army as well. And I, it was kind of a logical transition. Uh, that kind of stuff appealed to me once I came on the police department. Like I said, it was brand new. And a lot of uh, the officers that I looked up to and that had trained me and that I thought highly of were part of that initial unit. 
And so I wanted to be part of it, too. And it was just, to me, it was a a natural transition. And uh, I wanted badly to be on it once I came on the department. You mentioned the Allen County SWAT team. Are there big differences, let's say, between the county SWAT team and the city SWAT team? No, not really. I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, both units respond to the same type of operations. You know, we may have a few more people than they do. Uh, but, I mean, as far as capabilities and the way we conduct things, there's, it's going to be very, very similar. Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, Sophia and I always bring up every week on the show, we always have these stereotypical ideas, you know, of like <laughs> training and what it's like to be a member on the SWAT right. team. And a lot of times people have these stereotypes from movies, TV shows, and what have you. So you're sitting here live in studio. I mean, tell me, what is it like? Take me through a typical day uh, serving on the city's SWAT team. Well, I'll start out with this morning. We got up and got shot at earlier this morning. Today? So, yes, today, this morning. What? Yeah. I mean, uh, details, man, details. Um, I'll give you a little bit. I can't, I can't go into great details on it because obviously sure. I can give you the basics. Uh, uh, Sophia is, you know, involved with public information. So if I start <laughs> to say something I shouldn't, you just reach <laughs> out and get me. Wave them down. <laughs> uh, no, we were serving, let me just say, a high-risk warrant okay. uh, for an individual wanted for violent felonies. Uh, he was known to be heavily armed. Uh, it was in an apartment complex here in town. Uh, we served it very, very early in the morning. Uh, we announced our presence, uh, that we had a search warrant, and as we started to breach the door, uh, he started to fire gunshots through the door. Oh, my word. Uh, missed one of our team members by inches. Uh, shortly after he fired the shots, he dropped the gun and gave up. Um, we returned no fire. We didn't have the opportunity to, and uh, fortunately, no one was injured, uh, us or him, and uh, he is currently... Uh, uh, well, as, as of when I left, he was heading towards the Allen County Jail. So these are just daily. I mean, these are things that happen, are recurring themes for the team. They go out, they serve these high-risk warrants. They go out when we are get called out as hostage negotiators. They're also on the scene for those kinds of things. So they really help vice narcotics as well. And we have a lot of mutual aid. So we have surrounding yes. counties that don't have SWAT teams that they'll call our chief and say hey can we borrow your guy, your guys and your oh, girls wow. and can can you send them out to huntington county for instance or you know um we went to kendallville yeah um, went to kendallville was that earlier this year i think yes it was this year yeah yes. went to kendallville um so those are just things that happen you know and we help each other because that's what we do in law enforcement okay forgive me just because i'm so mm-hmm. uneducated mm-hmm. on how this works are you constantly on call then for these situations <laughs> yes yeah our like sophia said our our team is what's called a part-time team and that's by the way, 99.9% of the agencies in the country that have SWAT are part-time. Our people come from all areas within the police department. Uniform patrol, we have detectives, we have vice narcotics people, we have academy staff members. Uh, everywhere within the department our people work, and we carry, well, yes, we still carry pagers. I know that's... <laughs> wow. But, but <laughs> I wasn't we also, expecting that. We, we also get, get our phones. Yeah, we carry our phones, too. <laughs> but third shifters like pagers, be, yeah. pagers because they can shut their phone off when they sleep, Makes and sense. that way the pager is just for emergencies. Do you have it with you now? I, I don't carry my pager because I get mine on my phone. Because you didn't want me to make fun of you for wearing it. <laughs> that's today, right. right? <laughs> uh, that's a very 80s thing. But, uh, but no, uh, we are on call 24-7. And if there's something that happens, we drop whatever we're duties we're doing, or if we're at home or off duty, we drop what we're doing and and go deal with that problem. So you drop what you're doing. Do you go from there to the station and you all you know go over together, or do you meet at the the scene, if you will? It depends on what the situation is. Um, the vast majority of the time, if you have your typical hostage taking or barricaded gunman type situation, we will go to the scene. 
If it's something where maybe it's a high-risk warrant service that we have to serve very quickly, we'll meet at a staging location and go from there. Like we said with the negotiators, same con- concept. You know, and that's why we ha- we're fortunate to have these take-home cars. We can go and we can kind of do what we do on a normal day-to-day basis. But if that pager goes off, well, then we do have to respond. And we have a certain time frame we have to respond in or we get in trouble. So, Am I, am I allowed to ask that time frame? Or? Um, it's usually like within about an hour okay. of the situation. So if you are out somewhere, you have time to run home and grab or drop whoever off you have with you and then go. Or sometimes I've been in my personal car. I have to run home and get my squad car and, and get Sophia, you are a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department. Do you ever make the call to bring in the SWAT team? Or who who makes that, hey, it's time to bring these guys in? Who makes so that decision? It's normally the uh, incident scene commander at the time. So it's usually like the uh, command officer of the day, uh, the lieutenant of the shift commander that makes those decisions based on things that are going on. So not every call gets the response of a negotiating team or the SWAT team. Um, but it's just on a case-by-case basis. Well, in the case of high-risk warrants, the, the uh, captain or deputy chief of the, div- of the division with the warrant would get a hold of us, uh, be it vice narcotics or the homicide division or someone like that. Let's talk training. What's it like to become a member of the SWAT team? Well, t- to be a member, uh, you have to have three years police experience first off. And we prefer that that be road experience. In other words, you've been working in a, in a street environment where you've been answering those ready calls and taking those high-risk calls constantly because that way you get an idea how people uh, respond under stress. It, they have to volunteer. No one can be forced to take the job. And when they volunteer, times that we do have openings, and we don't have a lot of openings generally, uh, maybe only a, one or two a year, We will open tryouts department-wide. The first test we give them is a physical fitness test, which is an obstacle course-type test that includes sit-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, and the obstacle course, which has to be run wearing everything that I'm wearing right here, as well as their helmet. They have to negotiate this course in six minutes or less, and it's, 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 it's no joke. It's a tough course. If they fail any aspect of the test, they're dismissed. If they pass, they move on to the firearms proficiency, which is basically the uh, standard course set down by the state of Indiana to be a police officer in the state of Indiana. You have to pass this course. We give them the the course three times, and the average must be 95% or better. And if they fail that, we dismiss them. So if we have 20 people that will show up for tryouts, we'll generally have between three and five that might make it to interviews. And to the interview portion, that's where we select the people that we want. If, if you fail, can you try again, perhaps next year or when, yes. when there's an opening again? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, the most important aspect, in my opinion, and, and I think in our unit's opinion, is yes, we want people that are in very good shape. We want people that are excellent in firearms proficiency. That's critical. But the most critical part is the background investigation and the interview uh, because if someone ha- passes the two tests I just mentioned, firearms and, and fitness, they have the basic skills that needs to do the job. We can make them in better shape. We can make them better shots. If they have a personality problem, we probably can't fix hmm. that. Which kind of goes back to what you said, Sophia, when it comes to selecting your negotiators on the team. Right. They're small team dynamics, and everybody has to be able to get along. You know, this, this is just like families, right, where we might not get along with our brother, but we'll still back them. You have to have that personality where you're able to work through your problems. Like They can't just be um, tossed to the side and then they just continue to grow where it makes it a bad team environment. And that's what we look for when we interview people, just sure. how they're going to 
blend in with the family. Yes, and, and nobody knows better what kind of people are going to work out in that environment than the people already doing it. Mm-hmm. And you have very different personalities. Uh, you know, Sophia was a negotiator for a long time. When you're looking for negotiators, you want you want somebody that's more of a type B personality because they tend to have more patience and they're they're they less less of those uh, I don't know personal. that I'm type B Kevin I, I don't know. <laughs> you can shift that. back and forth but I think there, <laughs> there's a certain personality me. set that you're looking for Correct. someone with that patience yeah. SWAT people you're looking for type A's you want type A personalities who are the you know hands-on people that are you know uh, you know chomping at the bit to get out there and do that yeah. kind of stuff yeah so okay you got negotiators you're a lieutenant commander and what exactly is your role and what are the other roles i'm assuming you have medics on the team or what what's yes we have uh we have actually swat medics and these are people paramedics uh doctors within the community that volunteer their time no kidding and they volunteer to respond and they kit up in the same gear that i am they have special police commissions, although they don't make arrests or anything. We keep them out of that environment, and their job is just to treat our people or hostages. How much is that, that gear weigh that you've got on right now? I would guess that it weighs about 30 pounds. Holy smokes. It's about 30 pounds, yeah. yeah when you're stacking all that kind of uh, the magazines with ammo, that's where it gets heavy. Right. So how many people then are on the team in total? We have 29 members. Have 29 members. Yes. Do y'all practice together? I mean, or have dry runs? Does that is that how it works? Oh yes, uh, we we practice. Um, we we train uh, three days a month. Our snipers and explosive handlers uh, train uh, one day uh, additional on top of what the average team member trains. Uh, we also have uh, guys that train in robotics, operating different robots and things like that. Uh, and the entire team trains two days a month and one week a year at Camp Atterbury, Indiana, uh, which mm-hmm. is a military mm-hmm. post. And we spend, generally we like to spend one day on individual skills, you know, be it firearms or your less lethal tools or whatever equipment that we want to train on, night vision devices, et cetera. And then we like to have one day where you're doing team tactics. What is your role specifically? As a lieutenant, you know, the commander, my job is is really to be more of a planner and an organizer than a doer. Uh, you still have to have the basic skill set. I have to pass the physical fitness test every year, as everybody else does, maintain the same firearms proficiency. But my job is uh, to be more in the, you know, I will plan the operation. I will, you know, I'm going to control it from outside the front lines i'm not going to be a frontline person i will be back removed from that and you know i'm going to determine who takes what duties what jobs what direction we're going to go is it time to consider use of force options and things of that nature yeah so kevin is more logistics for the team Mm -hmm. right but he his knowledge and experience over the course of his career is you know fundamental to that and fundamental to the team so we you know you get you see a lot of people talk about um, these things. Well, like, yeah, you need some new people, but you can't get rid of that experience. Kevin brings so much experience to different operations and different scenarios that have gone on throughout the years, and he brings that, and he has a really clear mindset, and he's a very – he's got good judgment. Um, he's he's willing to talk through other people's concerns or um, information that they bring. He, he is really readily accepting of that, and that's really helpful, you know, when because these are these are – Ultimately, it's the incident scene commander's decision, mm-hmm. but we right. really rely, as, as someone like me who now is an incident scene commander, I really rely on his experience and the uh, team leader of the negotiator's experience in making those decisions and in, in, in making this city safer. 
um, as we go through. And and we talk a lot about equipment. He's talking a lot about equipment that we have. And I know people get see this see this large. We used to have a the sure. M one fifty or the tank, oh the V one fifty V one fifty floating around like oh there's a tank. I'm like. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up. Yeah, and these, yes. this is equipment that is for this community. And people say, well, it's militarized. Well, maybe we did get it from the military. It's it's low cost to us. But it's so important to have this because if it's your son, your daughter, your mother, your father inside somewhere with a gunman, would you not want the best equipment available? Dang straight I would. Yep. Um, you know, we talk, hear a lot of people talking about the new drone we just bought. If if you if it's your son or daughter that's missing in a woods somewhere, would you not want that going up ahead up up over air with infrared looking for your child? It would take a lot more in manpower, mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't have it to formulate a search party and go. So if we can u- utilize technology to our benefit for the safety of this community, why wouldn't we? Is the issue people are upset because they're military tactics per se? Is that what the? I mean, what's kind of the problem? I guess. I, I reject the whole militarization of police nonsense. I, I reject that, Amen. and I reject it because of this. Okay, what aspect of law enforcement has not been military-like since its inception? If you would go back and look at pictures of law enforcement shortly after the Civil War, they're all wearing their Civil War uniforms that they took home with them. Um, You know, all they did was put a badge on. If you look at Sophia's uniform, her uniform is a military-style uniform. Mm -hmm. She's got captain's bars. Uh, When I was in the Army, that's the same dress shirt we wore for dress occasions for different manufacturer or same manufacturer, different color. Uh, The pistol that she's carrying is a military style pistol. It was made for the Austrian military. Uh, You know, you name it. Everything about law enforcement has been military like. The only difference between SWAT and SWAT uniform and Sophia's is the military learned a long time ago you need two uniforms. One is for looking good for dress occasions. One is for fighting or working. Okay, my uniform is for working, crawling around, getting dirty, tearing it, and things like this. Her uniform is for everyday activities or dress occasions. She's wearing white today, so that's a dress occasion. Okay, they're both military-style uniforms. The difference is we have to follow a set of rules set down by courts and the United States Constitution. As long as I don't violate those rules of the Constitution or the laws of our community or the laws of the state, and I don't violate court orders, there's— you know, that, that's the difference between us and the military. The military doesn't have to do that. And, of course, they fight wars on foreign soil and things of that nature. So, uh, yes, we may have similarities. Some of the weapons we may use are similar. But you got to understand the common sense to that. If something works well for the military in combat, it's probably going to work for us, too. I don't know the difference between a military firearm and a police one. What's the difference? You know, and, and, you know, Sophia talked about our old armored vehicle, V-150. We don't have that anymore. It served us well for over 20 years. Uh, we now use uh, armored trucks made by Lenco. Uh, I find it amazing that if you see uh, these trucks driving down the street with armed men and the side of it says Brinks or Garda mm-hmm. or Pinkerton or Wells Fargo, nobody looks at them twice. They call it an armored truck. You put police officers in it, now it's a tank. Yep. Um, so why true. is that? Well, a tank is a—I was in the military. A tank is a mobile field artillery piece with a howitzer cannon and tracks. We don't have tanks here. We have armored trucks, uh, no different than the Brinks trucks that you see driving around, except ours are modified for law enforcement purposes. They don't have cannons or howitzers or main guns. Um, And I think if people have to go to that argument, what they're admitting is— I really don't have a lot to stand on, so I'll make up an argument that I can throw. Low-hanging fruit for that one, for sure. Sure. Kind of on that note— 
because and this is something Sophia and I always kind of try to touch on as well is just misconceptions the overall misconceptions let's say perhaps about the SWAT team what do you sure. hear and can you set the record straight first off television and movies do a very yes. bad job <laughs> yes they do yes. that's uh, what I'm finding that's the theme us. overall it, yes, it, it is. is it's it's awful I can't stand to watch them it just um you know, you watch some of the shows now. They've redone the 1970 show SWAT with uh, modern characters. Mm -hmm. And I find it amazing that they've got seven people in Los Angeles that are on the SWAT team. You know, we got 30 here, 29 here, but uh, it, seven of them okay, handled well, the whole honestly, city of Los Angeles. Okay, well, honestly, when you said 29, I was really surprised by that number. I was thinking, I don't know, 12, 15, yeah, maybe uh, max. The city of Los Angeles has close to 150 people in SWAT platoons. Wow. They don't have seven. Um, wow. It's, you know, and it's the tactics they use are ridiculous. And, uh, you know, the, the the way that they go about things is just utterly ridiculous. You I think Hollywood and all their money, they could hire someone like you to, like, sure. walk them through the, the process properly well, to be factual. You, you would think so, yeah. Um, that doesn't the, make a TV. <laughs> yeah. The other, uh, the other myth is that uh, the police and the negotiators hate each other. And that's the always conflict. The negotiators are, are the good people who are trying to talk this poor person into doing the right thing, and the SWAT people just want to kill them. And the fact of the matter is, in 30, I've been doing SWAT for 33 years now, I can think of maybe one or two incidents where there was any kind of debate as to how things should go, where you know most of the time the negotiators and us were on the same team, we're working together, and we agree 100% on what needs to be done. That's just utterly ridiculous. The other thing is, uh, everybody shows on television that the feds come in and take over. That doesn't happen. <laughs> they do. A, why is they that? wait for us to do everything yeah. and then they yeah. come like, in? We're taking and through and take over. That doesn't happen. Um, that that's a fallacy, also. But it's it's kind of one of those recurring Hollywood themes. But uh, you know, um, back kind of back, if I could retouch on what we talked about, armored trucks and the people that are in the militarization thing. Please. Despite the fact that I reject the whole militarization argument, I do agree. That SWAT teams are something that should be very, very proficient, very capable, very well trained and, and armed and equipped, but they should be used very rarely. Uh, there should be very few incidents that we deal with. And when we deal with things, we should deal with it quickly, efficiently, and then we should get out of there just as fast as we came in and turn neighborhoods back to normal. Because I don't think anybody wants to live in a society where men with machine guns and armored trucks are driving around police in the streets routinely. They have places like that. They're called North Korea and, yeah. and China and, and uh, Venezuela. Nobody wants to live there. And I, when I'm retired, I don't want to live in that nope. community either. So I think we should be rarely used. And if you look at it, our team probably does between 75 and 100 operations a year. I was actually going to ask how many operations yeah. are you called 75 for? Okay. to 100 times a year, which if you do the math, I suppose, what, you know, we're one and a half times a week. But, uh, you know, with, with that said, I mean, you know, we 100 would be a, a good, strong year. 75 would be an average year. Sophia, how many calls for services does our agency answer in a year? Uh, normally about 130,000. 130,000. Okay, 100 of them are going to SWAT. involve SWAT. So... I don't even. I know don't what math well, but I know that number is really small. I don't really like one percent. Well like yeah, I've been up since early in the morning, so my brain's not functioning that <laughs> I'm well. I'm just bad at math. I was an English major, so I think it's one percent. But it's it's a it's, it's a, a it's a really small fraction number. of a percent. Yeah. Yes. Do you think every department should have a SWAT team? No. Why is that? Because the fact that a lot of these agencies don't have the resources and the manpower. And when you have low manpower numbers and low resources, you start compromising. Mm -hmm. I've seen some agencies where they sent people to our basic SWAT school that everybody in their department was a SWAT officer. Well, I'm sorry, not everybody's cut out for this. Right. They had, you know, seven people in their department, so they make everybody be SWAT. And I'm going to guess that they're not getting the training and the equipment that they need either. So this is one of those things 
if you're not going to do it right, don't do it at all. Make a mutual aid agreement with somebody that does do it and rely you're on them to do it. not going to do it right, don't do don't it at do all. It that at should all. be on a bumper sticker somewhere. Yeah. Is it safe to say, and I'd put this to both to both of you, I mean, you got to have just nerves of steel and ice in your veins, right? Because honestly, if you put me out there on a part of the SWAT team, no thank you. There's got to be a, a, a mental aspect to the job that you guys do, or, and I know for you, Sophia, did, that you're able to show up and perform under that kind of kind of a situation, you know, for example, a hostage situation. You might think that, but I, I would I do argue think just that. the opposite. <laughs> um, and I, I tell my wife and, and family, because, you know, if they get concerned, I always tell them I feel that I'm safer doing what I do now than I would be if I was working solo in a squad car. I think uniform really? officers on patrol, I believe that is the most dangerous and hazardous position we have because they're operating by themselves. They're going often into unknown situations. Uh, without maybe the resources, the training that they that they could use to get through it. Whereas if you look at SWAT, we have hand-selected the people around us. I've got people that I trust everywhere. We go out with overwhelming numbers and resources, and we deal with, with, with specific problems that we deal with all the time, that we train for, that we're used to, and we have good policies and tactics and procedures for dealing with these. I feel very confident when we go out that we're all going to walk away just fine. Now, you know, you know, bad things can happen. We can't make it risk-free, but I feel very confident with the people we have and the way we work with things that uh, the odds are tipped drastically in our favor, whereas a solo officer out there on the street, it's not in their favor a lot of times. Well, you know, I think it's just a whole mindset of, you know, we want to get home. We're going to ensure our safety as best as possible. You know, we can't protect everything. We cannot make, you know, bad situations uh, better all the time. But I think with our training, which I would say is probably the best training in the state if not the country for our local officers here i mean we have scenarios all the time that are just different they pull things out of the united states that happen in california oregon washington and they bring it here and we train because like i said before you know you have this mindset of things that can happen in your mind and as long as you know that okay this has happened before this is how i can handle this it helps um, and when that solo officer is in that car <clears throat> that's what they're thinking of that's what they're doing they're running through scenarios in their mm -hmm. head and how the best outcome from them can be. And that's every time I pull up to a scene, I've, I've run four or five different scenarios about what can happen and how I will re react to that. This has just been so fast. I wish this show was an hour long. <laughs> I feel like, uh, Kevin, I could just talk to you. I just find this topic to be so fascinating. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Sophia, do we know what's up next week? No. I always like <laughs> it's to another on the mystery. spot at the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I have the week uh, after that in my head. But next week, um, I'm thinking We've about We've gotten a lot of requests on whether or not police officers should be the ones responding to um, domestic incidents. Can we get into that? I know it's getting a little political. Yeah, I think we, we can probably that? handle that. Yeah, right. should be able Maybe we'll, we'll dabble that. in that next yeah. week. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Don't forget, you can download every Unholstered episode anywhere you can download a podcast, and we hope you join us next week. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Unholstered. Podcasts by Federated Media.